Welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, the one and only fitness and nutrition podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition and helps you create a life by design. I'm your host, Cody McBroom, and with me is my co-host, Travis McQueen. And today we got a Q&A. We got, we got a lot of yeah, we got a lot of good questions. <laughs> I was like trying to think for a sec if there's any. It's always funny when you do these podcasts at the beginning. You're like, sometimes we get on. I'm like, I got shit to say, and then other times I'm like, don't have shit to say. I don't think I have anything to say. Um, yeah, not much. There's a diet update for everybody. I said I was going to do this every week, so um, made a small, small adjustment down another pound. I think I can't remember where I was at the last time we recorded, but. Um, I'm down to 172.5, 173, started at 175, so about two and a half pounds, um, which is really good for me, three weeks in. Um, changes are definitely happening, um, and uh, and the the most difficult part, it's always fun, because I think like if you're in the right headspace, it's actually really, it's never easy to diet, but it's easier. Like If you really pick the right time of your life to diet when you don't have too much going on, you don't have too many like... Uh, social events or birthdays or anything like that and you go into it with the mindset of like almost it sounds so cheesy but like the mamba mentality right like I literally just was at that place where I was like fuck it I'm ready to go I'm ready to do it and that's why I was posting everywhere like just accountability mm-hmm. let everybody know that I'm doing it so I'm more accountable to it um, and it's just dude it's just breezing by it's oh. so much easier even like last night um, I actually changed it up because I've been finishing out my steps at night but Washington's so fucking weird. It's been snowing, so it's freezing at night. Point being is I'm like, okay, I'm going to like get up earlier and try to go to bed earlier so I'm not like getting back to my house at 9 fucking 20 when oh, I'm finally yeah. done my steps. Um, and then I'm like wired and I want to watch TV and everything. So uh, I'm trying to flip around. So this morning I woke up pretty early and I was out in the garage on the treadmill. But still, it was like frosty as hell and it's like snowing yesterday. It's supposed to snow again today. Very weird. Yeah. Very weird time. It's April. What a time. This is spring yeah. in Washington. It doesn't make any sense. Um, but that's that's been the most difficult part is just doing that. And even that is like just finding ways to enjoy it, you know, like just get out and just do it. And yeah. Listen to a podcast. I'm trying to like read or listen to more audiobooks, do that kind of stuff just to pass the time. But point being is uh, when you do stuff super, super consistently, you don't need many adjustments. So I'm really, really hoping that over the next three to five weeks as I give these little mini updates of how my cut's going and where my weight loss is, I'm like hoping we don't have to make any macro adjustments because we really didn't this this week at all. Steps stayed the same, cardio stayed the same. The only thing I adjusted was on a, a couple of my training sessions, I'm pulling out the uh, intra-workout carbs. So just a little bit of carbs that are coming in calories during my workout on the like not so hard workout days or like today's sprints. I'm not going to drink it. Uh-huh. Um, so it does create a slightly bigger deficit on certain days, but the reason I'm saying I'm hoping we don't have to adjust and keep things keep going is because I think people get so sucked into like when people sign up for coaching, they almost, uh, we've actually noticed less of this as time goes on. Cause I talk about this enough, but people will sign up and then like their weekly update comes on a Sunday and they're like, what are you going to adjust? And it's like nothing. It's going really fucking well, but they, they almost assume that when you pay for coaching, you pay for weekly adjustments. Cause that's what the weekly updates for. And it's like, no, no, no. This is for accountability and to make sure that things are going well. But if you do all the right shit, you don't have to adjust. So the more on point you are, the less you have to adjust, the less you have to adjust, the, the less you have to dive into a deep deficit. Yep. So I'm just like so fucking dialed in. I'm eating the same things every day because it's just easy. But because I'm so on point and I'm getting my sleep, doing my steps, all that shit, it's going so well that I don't have to adjust so much yet. 
And with that, the longer I can last before my calories get low, which is what I want 100% because it's going to maintain muscle, obviously, but then it's less, um, it's just not as hard. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing, I wrote this in my newsletter. The last thing I'll say about it all is like something I was talking to a client about and then I use in my newsletter. I'm, I'll probably post on Instagram as well. It was a piece of advice of somebody asked me essentially like, how do you stay so on point? And it was like, I, I posted the, the progress picture on Instagram and they were like, how do you like stay motivated? They DM me. And I said, I focus more on my results than on my restrictions. And then I was like, fuck, that's a good quote. Yeah. So I took it and started using it for stuff. That's great. But it's so true because everything in life, if you want success, you have to sacrifice, right? That's just how it is. So you don't get any handouts. So regardless of how flexible your flexible diet is or how simple you make the process or stress-free you make it, there's going to be restrictions in it, right? Because even if you even if you have fucking candy every single day and you're being super flexible, you're still in a calorie deficit if you're losing weight, which is quite literally restricting food, right? Or you're doing cardio, which is creating a deficit, which is also restricting everything else or it's restricting mm-hmm. your time or you're sacrificing time, money, uh, energy, whatever it is invested into things. But the more you think of it as a sacrifice instead of an investment, the harder it's going to be. So my whole thing has been like every day I'm waking up and looking at like, where's my progress at? How am I feeling? How am I looking? How excited am I at for the end result? Why am I doing this? How stoked am I about that? And the more I think of reasons why this is super dope and fun and enjoyable and getting me where I want to be, the less I even think about those restrictions, right? Or what I can't do or what I'm sacrificing because ultimately as a human being, your mind goes to the negative, obviously. But you have to literally choose to not go to the negative. So if you guys have like a gratitude journal or- you find some kind of positive. 100%. And and using a gratitude journal or like an appreciation or uh, affirmations or anything like that, one of the things I've done to help me with this is in my gratitude journal, in my journal period, there's like three sections for it. So there's like- what are you grateful for? Right. And I always do something philosophical and then I do something about people in my life. And then the third one I always do about myself. I don't think anybody ever does a gratitude journal about their self. They're like, I'm thankful for, uh, my team or my family or my wife or whatever. I literally write myself, my tenacity, my hard work, my body, my health, and I still do the other ones, but that's what I finish with because it's like reminding myself of like, no, this is really good. I'm doing well. Like I'm stoked about myself. I'm investing in myself. Like keep talking like that because it'll rewire your brain. You know what I'm saying? So, um, love it. yeah, I mean, when you go into a deficit and you're dieting, there's going to be moments where it's hard. These are the ways that you keep shit going, Yeah, you know, and you got to kind of have a little bit of that mamba mentality, so to speak to, I mean, if you're able to do it. It's just extreme self-discipline. Yeah. You got to just pull it out somewhere. Yeah. And and obviously the further along you get, the more des- self-discipline you need. Yeah. And I only mean that because. It gets harder and harder. Yeah. In order for me to lose five pounds compared to somebody who's never done this, losing 15, it's way easier for them. Just like it was way easier for me because there's less change you have to make. But that's just part of the game. Totally. And, and I shouldn't even say it's easier or harder because since they're less experienced, Doing what I have to do to get the result I do would be way harder for them. Yes. But like it's all relative, right? So this is like this is on a scale like this hard and that simple thing that I look at like super easy is that hard to them as well because they've never done it. So I think it's all relative. But um, yeah, just some just some thoughts and, and things and aspects. And it's funny because uh, it just like thinking about the gratitude journal, it, remind, it reminds me of <laughs> like we're trying to teach Blake how to say grace at dinner and it's hilarious because we're like all right like she like kind of repeats and we're like all right tell god what you're thankful for and it mm-hmm. always goes right to like my stuffies my toy room my playhouse 
my toys, the kitchen, uh, my bed, <laughs> like family. It's like yeah. my family, I'm like, oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> it's so fucking funny, dude. Been there. Yeah, it's cute, but it's yeah. hilarious. Like, yeah. uh, it's cracking up. But. Soccer ball. I remember just doing that. Yeah. Every <laughs> all the material stuff you have is totally kid. as a kid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's hilarious. All right, cool. Let's uh, get into these questions today. We have a lot of good ones, so we are going to start it off today from N Go or N Gomez Movement. It says, I want to build my legs, my mainly my glutes, but not glutes, not glutes, <laughs> mainly glutes, but not my upper body. I feel my upper body is big enough already, but I do want my upper body to continue to get stronger, stronger, parentheses, most, mostly bench and pull-ups. I'm torn right now how to pick my split and what intensity to train on my upper body days. I'm currently finishing up the strength and conditioning female on Taylor Trainer, which I love, I may have to switch to full body three day split for a couple months because I am also a soccer player. We train two times a week with one day of games. Do you have any advice for me? So what is the main question? She told me what she's doing. What is the, I, she wants to train, build her legs, but not upper body. Okay. Um, does it say build strength, but must just build. I feel, it says I build my legs, Okay. mainly glutes, but not my upper body. Okay. I feel my upper Oh, uh, big I, enough. So I yeah, do want strong. my upper body to continue to get stronger. She wants to grow. Her, yeah. Uh, yeah. When her you said life. goots, it kind of threw me off for a sec. And I was like thinking, I was like, is goots a thing? What is no. goots? Why did that sound so funny? Build my legs. Okay. So um, if she says she doesn't want her, she says her upper body's big enough. So that obviously means she's looking to grow her legs. Um, this is honestly, this is one of those things where it's, it's, it's very difficult because it's all based on how much volume you can tolerate, right? Because for one person, like, so for example, she said she's going to go to three days full body because she practices twice a week, plays once a week. Um, that might be a great approach, but you're playing soccer three days a week. There's plenty of people who can do four days a week of lifting and still do three days of soccer and be totally fine. There's also people who could only do two days and then three days of soccer and that's too much. You know what I mean? So for me to give exact guidance, I'm not 100% sure I can't be positive of what I would do. Um, however, what we know is that there's certain mechanisms that lead to muscle growth, right? So if we're strictly talking about muscle growth, um, your soccer is not really going to do it for you. Soccer is going to build muscular endurance and, and power because you're sprinting and you're kicking, not so much strength. So in my training, if I'm, and this is another thing is I go, okay, well, it depends on this. When you're training, are you like, I'm strong enough to continue progressing in soccer, so I don't care about training for strength at all? Or are you like, I need to get a little bit stronger for soccer, but I really just, like, my mindset is like, I really want to grow my glutes and my legs. I don't know. Like, right? So what those are, are two different things. for? Exactly. So in in the the prior, if you're like, I do need to work on some strength, it would be pretty simple. I would just throw in, like, a, a, a squat and a deadlift compound throughout the week so that you're still building some leg strength and then more bodybuilding style stuff for the rest of your volume. Uh, but if you're not focused on that, then I would be strictly looking at muscular uh, or like hypertrophy based training. The hard part is that like when we look at what leads to muscle growth, there's a few different things. So we have one mechanical tension, mechanical tension can occur from either like strength training, like low rep, heavy weight. So you're doing a, a three to five rep squat. That is definitely in the strength range. However, it creates a lot of tension in the muscle. And tension is the first key indicator or, or causation or thing that builds muscle. Um, the next thing is going to be volume. 
right? And that's basically how much time is spent with that mechanical tension. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean time under tension because time under tension is is how long are you in tension during a set. So that three rep squat, the time under tension is not very great. The, the amount of tension is a lot because it's a maximal effort. It's a maximal force contraction of the muscle, but it only, I mean, three reps doesn't take you that long. Whereas time under tension for a 12 rep set is really high, mm-hmm. but it kind of even itself out, right? Because the max amount of tension is, is a greater amount of tension. And this long duration of tension is less tension for a long period of time. It kind of even itself out. So we can kind of neglect that. However, how much total tension are you creating and accumulating over time, which is, is basically we have to do a lot of volume. Problem is if you're doing a bunch of heavy sets of three, five strength-based work, it might create a lot of tension. But if you need a lot of volume of that tension in order to create muscular adaptations like hypertrophy, you're probably going to overtrain, undercover, or hurt your joints before you get to that point, which is why like this is what's really funny about science is because research came out that showed like, oh, these people grew just as much doing sets of three as they did sets of eight and 12, which means that there is no hypertrophy zone. But then you look at practicality in the gym and it's like, yeah, but sets of three, you have to do with twice the load and you have to take longer rest periods because it's so heavy, which means you're at the gym for way fucking longer. So that's still the hypertrophy zone because yeah, we see that in science, but in the real world, the only way we're going to have enough time and our body's going to be able to withstand energy getting to the goal yeah is by doing it in that hypertrophy zone of age 12 anyway so if you're playing sports um that's that's something to think about right so we have tension then we have volume then the other thing that we have to consider is muscle damage muscle damage doesn't necessarily like we can't say for sure it doesn't lead to muscle growth and this is just where this is what soreness is um and by the time this goes out i'll probably have posted it but i created a pretty cool graphic about this but essentially Muscle damage leads to muscle soreness. And the whole question has always been like, is soreness good, right? Well, soreness is an indicator of muscle damage. Before we thought muscle damage was hypertrophy happening because... What's before? uh, Before, like back in the day, before they did a lot of research on this. So it was always known as like, there's the three M's of of muscle growth. And it was uh, mechanical tension, uh, metabolic fatigue or metabolite accumulation, which we'll get to in a sec, and then muscle damage. Mm. Now we know that muscle damage is not really a thing. It's more about volume. Muscle damage hasn't been proved to literally lead to growth, which it makes sense why they thought that because if you if you create muscle damage, you're creating micro tears in the tissue. And then when you recover, your body repairs the tissue or creates new tissues to adapt to that stimulus that you created so that it can handle it next time. Right? That's progressive overload. So I either do a bunch of sets and I break down the muscle tissue and it has to grow stronger and bigger, or it's like, I'm gonna grow stronger and bigger and add new tissues because I gotta be able to withstand this next time. And then what do you do? You add five pounds, right? And you just keep that process going. Um, But it's not how it works. It's essentially like during the process, we think, but during the process of getting enough volume, creating enough mechanical tension and or creating enough metabolic fatigue, you are going to break down the tissue and cause muscle soreness, right? So really what's happening is you're doing enough volume of these other things and in the process of recovering, repairing that soreness or muscle damage and the recovery and the other tension things lead to muscle growth. Muscle damage and soreness is basically just, it's just there. It's part of what happens during the way. Yeah. Um, Which the reason I'm saying all this is because the, the thing we have to consider is one muscle damage is important. So soreness, you should be getting sore because if you're not getting sore, you're probably not training hard enough or doing it, creating enough tension or doing enough volume in order to create growth. 
But if you're constantly fucking sore, you can't go back into the gym and recreate those growth stimuluses or in your case, go play soccer effectively because you're going to be dead sore on the field. So we have to consider how do we create enough tension and metabolic fatigue, which is really just uh, metabolite, swell, cell swelling, getting a lot of blood flow and stuff into the muscle, lactic acid uh, accumulation. This is like, if anybody's ever done a set anywhere between really 10 to 25 reps and you just feel that crazy burn in your whatever muscle you're training, you know? Um, I know you've felt it in like the assault bike. And that's yeah. a good example is why like actually an assault bike or a sled is actually a good way to rebuild quad muscle while recovering and not loading the joints because there's no eccentric phase but point being is that is one of the the processes of creating muscle growth how do we do all that without getting so sore that you can't play soccer because we need enough of those things to grow but you can't have too much of those because it causes too much uh, soreness and then you go in the field and you can't play or you can't get back to the gym in somebody else's case and do enough of those things to continue recovering from it or anything that you essentially need to do exactly so there's this this is where like mike israel and rp created uh the volume landmark so there's like the minimum effective volume which is like just enough volume to see a little bit of growth but not much then there's the uh maximum adaptive volume which is like the sweet spot you want to stay in most of the time and then there's the maximum recoverable volume which is like you're pushing the threshold and usually you can only stay in there for a little bit and then you got to back down because you stay there too long you're going to be burnt out you're going to be overtraining or getting joint issues and stuff like that so most of the time what i would suggest somebody is like if you really want to figure out how to grow so for example like something i'm doing right now I'm already planning ahead for when I'm done with the shoot, I'm going to get through summer first. Like I don't want to go into a bulking phase in the summer because I want to like stay semi lean in the fall. I'm going to kind of ramp it up and try to put on some size, but I already have a couple muscle groups. I really want to focus on, which are going to be triceps and my lats. I'm sorry, triceps, lats, and quads, which are pretty easy to do because they're polar opposites, right? So if I was to do like if I want to specialize on triceps and chest, that would be an issue because if I'm doing a ton of tricep volume and then I go to bench to specialize in my chest, my triceps are so fatigued, I can't bench properly. Yeah. My lats are going to be on my back. So it's, it's like if I wanted to specialize in my um, biceps and lats, that would be an issue because I do so many curls that when I go to do pull-ups or pull-downs, my biceps are fatiguing and I can't lift as heavy. So you got to pick polar opposites and then quads obviously are different. But I'm finding where like that balances now before I get too deep in the deficit and then I'll do it again through summer while I'm kind of maintaining because then I have that baseline of like, okay, what's my maximum recoverable amount? And then I can push that as I go into a surplus in those muscle groups for, for you and Gomez. I don't think you can, because if you do, you might, you're, you're dancing on a fine line. You got to perform. Then you're going to get injured on the field. And that's just, it's not smart. So you're probably going to want to stay in that like maximum adaptive and that minimum effective, which basically means like, you can't really focus too much on growing your legs while you're also trying to play soccer, like to be the bearer of bad news. Only because like you have to stay in the minimum effective and maximum adaptive range. And if you go outside of that, muscle soreness is going to be too high. You're not going to be able to perform and or other issues like nervous system fatigue or like joint stress are going to cause you to get injured on the field or just play like shit all the time. Then you're not going to enjoy playing soccer. So what I would recommend is probably... Either I would probably do a full body approach. Um, I would probably focus on the the muscle group you want to train and isolate it because here's the other thing to think about. And I'm obviously really getting in the weeds with this. If you want to, if you want to grow your glutes, but you play soccer, 
your glutes and hamstrings are together quite often, right? Like when you do a deadlift, an RDL, reverse hyper, glute ham raise, even a hip thrust to an extent, a lot of them are still going to hit your hamstrings. When you go play soccer, the most prominent muscle groups that are working are going to be your glutes and hamstrings because anytime you sprint, it's glutes and hamstrings. And obviously your calves, but that's different. So you want to be careful because if you train the shit out of your glutes and hamstrings and then you go try to play soccer, you probably tear a hammy. So I would be doing a lot of isolation work. You're going to be doing a lot of like hip abductions, like bridges, things that you know aren't going to like overtax the hamstrings. They're going to isolate the glutes, but they're also not the same function as on the field. Um, So not a ton of squats and walking lunges and deadlifts and stuff like that. More like bodybuilding isolation stuff. And you do full body so that you can still train your upper body a little bit, but you're really just going to lean a little bit more volume onto your legs. Just sprinkle some volume on your upper body so that Total fatigue isn't too high because if you did full body and you trained everything equally and you trained really hard, your nervous system fatigue is going to be extremely high. Whereas if you just did a little bit of upper body and just really just focus on your your main muscle groups you want to work on while you're in season and then shift out of it, I think that would be the best bet. Totally. But this is also why – the reason I get so into the weeds with it too is because specificity is the number one scientific principle for strength and hypertrophy. Meaning like right now I'm, I'm going to cut. If I was also trying to learn how to box and was like playing in a men's league soccer and all, it just wouldn't be going that well. Like what, do, like what I'm doing physically right now is purely for this cut. My cardio is centered around it. My diet centered around it. My sleep centered around it. My training is centered around it. Like you haven't seen me do anything less than eight reps in a while. Mm-hmm. And it's because I'm not focused on strength. I'm focused on a very specific thing. So the best, this is where you can't be the jack of all trades, master of none, right? You can train for strength and hypertrophy because they're very closely tied. You definitely won't get the best of both, but you can definitely do that more than anything else. This is why we have like performance bodybuilding and stuff like that, power building. Um, However, that's not like, I want to improve being a volleyball player and do a bikini show. Like those are just, you know, they're polar opposite. Yeah. So, yeah. Totally. I think that was good going into that much depth about it. Yeah. All right. So we've got a next question comes from Andrea. It says, I know it's necessary. I know it's necessary. I know it's necessary to lose weight. I find it extremely difficult to shed any weight unless I go under 1300 calories. I'm 147 pounds, 55 and five, four and not new to exercising. I've lifted heavy for years and on top of, even that on top of cardio. My concern is if I go with low calorie, I am setting myself up for failure because I would need to continue to drop calories over time to get weight off. I want to lose 10 to 12 pounds. I want my nutrition to support my activity. I don't think there was a question mark in there. Uh, (laughs) Which is fine. I I can definitely like talk on it. She wants to shed any I mean, it's just basically like what I would do, Yeah, I guess. Um, I mean, there's a few things here. Like, number one, I started to think to say this, but then I think as she was talking and saying that she is very experienced, she's been lifting a long time, this probably isn't the issue, but I I should bring it up. Um, I've seen a lot of people that have come to us that want to get in in better shape and lose weight and all those things, and um, they're in a similar situation. They're like, I can't lose weight without being below X calories, and it just seems like a low-calorie diet. And I look at their protein, their protein is very low. Well, number one, if somebody's at 1,300 calories, so she's 140 pounds, right? So if she's 140 pounds and... 147. 147, okay. 147, and she's consuming, let's say, 0.8 grams per pound, which is normal. That's 117, let's say, 120 grams of protein. Few things are wrong with this. Number one, 120 grams of protein 
barely makes the quota of maxing out muscle protein synthesis per meal. Now, do you need to max out completely muscle protein synthesis to build muscle at all or to lose? No, you don't. But in order to optimize muscle growth, build the most muscle possible, recover as optimally as possible, keep satiety high, maintain as much, I mean, you do, right? This is where it's like, you could do like 90% good or you can just do 100% good by literally just adding a couple ounces of meat in a couple meals or adding an extra egg white, like very simple shit, right? Literally add add two scoops of protein powder every day in one shake, one and a half scoops and you would be there to what you should be. So the other thing is that as we age, muscle protein synthesis um, response goes down and muscle protein de- degradation goes up, which means basically we are fighting atrophy as we age, plain and simple. Um, and that makes sense. And it's especially prevalent in guys because as men age and testosterone starts lower, it's harder to fight for maintenance of their muscle tissue because testosterone causes muscle protein synthesis to happen at a higher level. So the reason I'm saying this is because not only is 117 barely enough to hit the quota for somebody 140 pounds, because if you think of it like, okay, optimizing your protein feeding is going to happen probably at like four or five meals a day. You could argue for six and you could do it at three with like really big boluses of, of protein each meal. But most people don't want to have a ton of protein in a single meal. So let's say four to five meals, like 117 divided by four, four would be 29. That's not too bad. 117 divided by five would be 23. As we age, like, so 20 to 30 grams is typically where like the leucine threshold sits, depending on what food you're eating. Um, I would recommend going above that as we age because Again, we need a little bit extra to make sure we're maintaining muscle as we age and we need a little bit more to spike MPS as we age. Um, And we're barely even in that quota. So right away, I would go like, if you're only eating 1300 calories and you're stressing on that, you could drop your calories to 1200 to lose more fat and then increase your calories to 1400 just via protein, right? So you drop 100 calories via carbs and fat and you add 200 calories of protein and you're gonna be sitting at net higher, right? 1400 calories compared to the 13 you were at, but your body's going to burn fat like it's at 1200. Mm. And that's not a black and white scientific statement. That's a very like specific to this situation statement. I would say if the person is under eating protein, cause I've seen it countless times. Um, the, the thermic effect of protein and the response protein has in the body is just different than other nutrients. So right away, that could be something that would help you tremendously. Um, the other thing to think about is I don't think this is the case, but you know, there was that study on the metabolism as we age and it was a really, really big study over, I mean, the biggest metabolism based study that there has ever been literally. And it's been, it was really big. Um, I mean, like, I want to say it was like, it was huge. Like everybody knew about it, but really like people were really into research knew about it. Like it's a very popular study right now. And, uh, they basically found that your metabolism doesn't really change as you age until you're about 65 years old. Um, what changes your metabolism is what happens to you as you age, which is basically like, now I sit at it one more time. So age isn't a factor in your metabolic speed until you are age 65. Yeah. Right. And I think it was 65, maybe it was 60, but it was definitely in the sixties. Now, a lot of people listening would argue and be like, no, no, no. Like when I hit 40, like I definitely noticed a slowdown. It's like, well, you noticed weight gain because you stopped paying attention to diet. You stopped playing recreational sports. You stopped training in the gym. You stopped walking anywhere because guess what? You make money and have a car now. You have a job where you sit at a desk. You're busy. So you know what I mean? Like 
the list goes on. Um, for some people it could even be as simple as like they went to college in a sunny area and then they moved back home to a cloudy area and now they don't walk outside as much, right? Mm-hmm. Their dog passed away. They don't have a dog that they got to walk anymore. Who knows what it is? But the point is, is on average, as people age, they literally just have more sedentary based lifestyles. That's what causes a slowdown in your metabolism. The reason I say that is because in most cases, somebody's saying like, I just like, I'm this age and I can't lose weight unless I go below this point. I would say, well, if your activity has dropped significantly over time, then that's your first step. Increase neat, increase steps, increase your activity, increase your training, like what you're doing in your training. That's why your metabolism dropped. Now, the caveats would be, number one, if somebody's going through menopause, there probably are going to be some some effects. It doesn't mean you can't lose body fat or weight. It just means that when you go through menopause, you're probably going to have a, a down regulation of the metabolism, which just literally is a something with your hormones changes how fast your metabolism is which means you're probably going to have to drop calories a little bit. Um, as women age, especially, this happens to men too, but it's more prevalent in women, uh, thyroid dysfunction is more common, so hypothyroidism. Your thyroid slows down, um, typically from lifestyle choices, stress, poor diet, like a, a, an array of different things that can cause that. But that is another thing that slows down your metabolism. But it, again, it's not by much. I think research shows like 13% decline in your metabolism, which basically means that like, you would have to just create a bigger deficit, yeah. which would suck. So that could be the case in this scenario. Um, so there's there's a few different things that it could be. Like at the end of the day, what I would say is like most likely eat more protein, drop your calories lower inc- or and or increase your activity a little bit and periodize it because just because you go low calorie to get to a weight loss goal doesn't mean you have to stay there forever, right? We, you know, reverse dieting isn't, necessarily the recommended thing to a lot of people especially in the science-based community because if you experience a lot of metabolic adaptation during a diet and then you reverse somebody super slow either a you don't fix those metabolic adaptations or b you just prolong how long you're suffering with those until you get to maintenance and then they kick back up but at the same time like there's plenty of people for example if somebody's age and lifestyle and being a little older and menopause and anything like that is what caused thyroid dysfunction, hormonal dysregulation for men, testosterone decline. And those are the metabolic adaptations we're worried about from a calorie deficit anyway. They're already happening because of lifestyle factors from our age. So fuck it. Like go through a diet, get the job done, reverse super slowly, and then get back up to a comfortable, flexible, more social way of eating with your body fat still lower because you already had bad biofeedback, you know, like that's why they have thyroid medication and TRT and stuff like that now is because there's a lot of people experience that lowers the quality of life and things like this. That's why they supplement with those things. So um, it's a really loaded question. And, and obviously I can only just give you a lot of advice and information, but I think at the end of the day, like there's, there's actually nothing wrong with going into a pretty big calorie deficit. It's not sustainable, but diets aren't supposed to be sustainable, right? I mean, you can call a maintenance diet, a diet, and that's supposed to be sustainable. But I would argue that a diet by definition, is literally putting you in a calorie deficit. and Isn't it? 100%. But what's but a maintenance diet? I'm saying maintenance diet is eating at, at maintenance. maintenance calories. Okay, okay. But okay. people call it a maintenance diet. Okay. That's why I'm saying, like, let's remove the word diet from it because technically a diet is a calorie deficit. Cool. That's what I was saying. Um, okay. I would also say that a, a calorie deficit is more closely associated with longevity, autophagy, and lifespan, and, and disease prevention, and all-cause mortality, all those things, than maintenance or surpluses. In fact, surplus is technically unhealthy because it's leading you towards weight gain. <laughs> You're not supposed to do that. So there's actually nothing unhealthy about going into a deficit, especially if you do it for a little bit and then you get out of it so that you can recover your muscles and things like that. And you have this yin and yang throughout the year. That's really what leads to alt- optimal like body composition and health. Um, 
but I think people are so afraid to go into deficit. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's my, my whole spiel, my advice in general. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Let's, uh, move on here. We got a next one coming from Nicole Morrison. It says, hello, Cody and Travis. I am also currently doing the everyday athlete program in week seven right now. I love it. Hitting PRs, which keeps me very motivated. My question is, Cody, I know you are doing this program also. Do you add any other movements or exercises to your daily workout? If so, what are they? I'm no longer doing this program anymore. Um, either this is an old question or just, they just haven't been updated with my Instagram, um, which is fucked up. Go follow me. Pay attention. <laughs> um, the, uh, so the, like any program in there that you see me do, I'm doing literally at least a month, if not two months prior to it even dropping in the app because I want to test it. That's why I've been getting a lot of messages of like, when are you going to drop this program in the app that I'm doing right now? Because obviously we share my training on the story all the time. Um, but it's like, man, I got to go through a couple blocks first. This is my last week of the second block, but the blocks are three weeks long. So that'll be six weeks of this style of training very soon. Um, so like soon I will put it in the app. And I'll make a female and a male version of it. Because um, I started a few weeks before the cut actually started. But I just, like, that's just me being, in my opinion, a good coach. You test the shit before you put it out in the public. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, so what I would say to this is, like, number one, I'm just saying I'm not doing it right now. But number two, no, I didn't add a single thing to it because I was testing it the way it is. And then I put it in the app the way it is. And I would recommend anybody. And this is a conversation I've had with many people. Um, I actually had somebody who was doing performance bodybuilding, the five day program. And they were DMing me and they were like, Hey, like, no, I'm just, uh, just want to make sure it's cool. Like I've, I've been doing it a few weeks and I've added, this is a while ago, but they're like, I've been adding, can't remember what it was, but they were adding a bunch to like some of the days on like at the end of it and stuff. And I'm like, look, number one, in the respectful way, you're fucking up the program. Like don't, don't add, you know, like you don't go to, uh, this is like obviously an extreme, but like the Mona Lisa painting go, I think I'm just going to add like a couple freckles here. It's like, no, that's the Mona Lisa. You keep it as it is. The artist did it that way for a reason, you know, um, hundred, like there's a reason for everything. And, and I say that because like, somebody's like, well, I've been adding like, uh, like a bunch of curls at the end of this day. And I'm like, well, the reason there's only this many curls in that program is because there might actually be a lot of loading patterns or elbow flexion movements in certain uh, types of loading. So uh, dumbbells or barbells versus bands and machines, things like that, that are more stressed to the elbows. Or there's a lot of external rotation and I don't want to over tweak. You know, like some people get tennis elbow from using their mouse too much, their computer. Why? Because it's a repetitive motion on their fucking elbow. So I might design the program in a way and be like the only amount of, this movement I can allow to add into this for isolation is this amount, right? And so people add to it and they hurt themselves or they get aches and pains and they're like, man, this program fucked me up. It's like, no, because you added a bunch of stuff that wasn't supposed to be there to the program. Um, so that doesn't always happen, but that's always a caution, right? I always say like, you know, make sure, and this is why like I, we have specialization days and I don't always like them because if you add them to the wrong program, like I've had people do the six day program and a specialization date, I'm like, no, you can't do that. The specialization is for if you're doing the three, maybe the four day program, because it's enough, like it's low enough in volume that you can add a fifth day or a fourth day of like glute focus or chest focus, stuff like that. So number one, you don't want to add stuff to the program. Number two, um, you don't want to change things around in the program because there's a sequencing effect. So the reason you do uh, like these two exercises before this one and that one comes before these three and not the other one or anything like that is because everything is in the order 
to optimize your performance, manage your fatigue, and avoid injuries. And that also goes for the split. So the reason we do this exercise today and tomorrow we're focusing on these things and doing these exercises, or I should say the next day, because you can change the days um, in the program, in the app, but you can't change the order of the days. It's all for a reason, right? Um, And then the last thing I will say to this too is like in that specific scenario, especially, I was like, dude, if you're able to do all that after the end of the session, you are not training even remotely close to hard enough to optimize your results, period. What would you say to somebody that says, well, I did the program? And you say, oh, you're not training hard enough. Like, they did the program. They still can do something at the end like that. They're not training hard enough. Like, I know because... So if it says four sets of eight, Mm -hmm. and they do everything to the book where it says, that's Mm -hmm. what I'm saying. What do you mean by hard? They didn't didn't do it to the book then. Because here's the thing. It's like, for example, like, this is like the the post I did about, like, you're not training hard enough. I talked about the research on RIR, RPE, right? Research says that you can have an RIR of three to four and get just as great of results as you can at going nine or ten. RPE or one to zero RIR oh, failure. I see, I see what you're saying. Right. Because four says a doesn't matter. It go up weight. Exactly. Oh, okay, Their okay. proximity to failure isn't there. there. So I disagree with that research. I, I'm sorry. I don't disagree with that research because <laughs> the research is proven. Careful. <laughs> the problem is, is that we can't blatantly say, Oh, you can just do RIR four, which means you have four reps in reserve on everything you do. And people are like, Oh, sick. I don't got to try that hard. I can yeah. just kind of go in the gym and leave a bunch in the tank. But like, I think like it's funny because I literally got done with leg extensions yesterday and like I remember the last set I, I was like I basically in the program this is week three and on, it's the final week of the block and every every single exercise on the last set you take as close as you can if not to failure so I did like quite a few extra reps in the last set and really pushed it and I was like fuck like I did not go close enough to failure on those other ones. I didn't actually do an RPE eight or nine or RIR one or two on those first two sets because I got five extra reps on the last set with the same weight. And I still probably had like a half or a full rep in the tank. But then I saw the picture that you took and it was like the first or second set. And I looked like I'm going to shit my pants. I was squeezing so hard. Mm-hmm. The reason I say this is because that was an RIR three. Like that was me leaving three reps in the tank. That is still effective for muscle growth. Right. And research shows that. But how many people can can go that hard and still have a few reps in the tank? Not that many people. You have to have a lot of training experience. Right. Or you got to go to failure a few times and realize how hard you really got to go. Yeah, absolutely. Which is why I don't like talking about that research publicly, because I think if we just say that blatantly, like this is what the study showed. It's misconstrued. hundred percent. Right. Whereas there's another study that they did the bench press. And I've talked about this many times. I wish they would do more research like this to take the point home. But I talked about it in the post on Instagram and like they basically said, hey, put your 10 rep max on the barbell. You're going to have a spot. We're going to go to failure. And there were people who got I want to say it was like 20 something percent of the people got over 20 reps with their 10 rep max, quote unquote. It's like there's no way you're estimating properly. Right. In general. And these are recreational lifters. So these are people who are just normal. They're not bodybuilders or people who are super experienced. They know what failure is. They know, like they're, they know enough and they train enough for me to go, Hey, this is a study on RPE. You're going to go to RPE 10. I want you to put your 10 rep max on the bar and go to failure. So they know, okay, I know what my 10 rep max is, which means you got to train enough to know. Cause if I asked you right now, what's your 10 rep max bench press? Bingo. Probably no clue. Right. You know, cause 10 rep, which means like these, and even I have to go like, um, like, let me think about it. I could be in the study. I would just have to be like, Hey, just let me, give me five minutes. Let me think about what I've done. Yeah. And that's probably what these people had to do. At least they're experienced that much that they know that. Exactly. So my point is, is like the people who do the program and say they can add a bunch, they're not experiencing because, because I test the programs and then I put them in there 
knowing that this is like enough volume, this is enough work because if you go to the RPE listed in the program, you don't need anything more than this, right? But you got to, you got to do it at that level of intensity. But that's also how you really optimize results, right? And um, that specific program, performance bodybuilding, I tested on uh, Chad Gable and a couple WWE people. And so I was able to get feedback from them too. And like, that dude's a savage, you know what I mean? And, and that was plenty, that was a high volume program for him. So um, you, I, I don't like changing the program. The program is the program for a reason. I think if you're doing the right amount of intensity, you're hitting the right effort, all that stuff, it's going to be more than enough. And everyday athletes, more of a strength based program. So it's not a hypertrophy program. Um, you can build muscle in it, but it's, it's not super high volume, but your intensity is very high. So you don't, you shouldn't really be able to add too much there. Uh, you know what I mean? Totally. Um, yeah. And I mean, the last thing I'll say about that is like, and I kind of said in there is like, there's no, I can't think of a single bodybuilder, athlete, successful person, anybody that we like really like even actors and people like like The Rock, like eh, he doesn't really try. He just kind of tries. Mm. Like no, that guy works extremely hard to achieve what he does. Yep. You know what I mean? Like Kevin Hart, like he he he's funny. He jokes, but there's no way you look at him and go like, eh, he just like kind. He's like going like eighty percent. Yeah. No, he's like a hundred percent. That's why he's so fucking successful. Kobe yep. Bryant, hundred percent. Like everybody. So I think it's just a very shitty mindset to have. Like I'll never go into the gym going. I'm gonna stick at like a fourth, three or four RIR today because it's just not a good mentality, you mm-hmm. know? But I don't know. Depends on if you want to get anywhere. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. All right, cool. Uh, let's move on here. We got one from Jen Johnson. It says, hi, Cody. I know you talk about this kind of stuff a lot, but I would like s- some specifics or just your thoughts on, on a client of mine in particular. She's a female, 42 years old, weighs 250 pounds, and wants to get her get down to 200 pounds. She has a long history of extreme dieting and, and then gaining the weight back over her t- lifetime and has also been dishonest with me about her intake in the past. She's doing Orange Theory Fitness right now for training and loving it. How would you approach her de- deficit? Time is, it isn't an issue, so you are free to suggest anything here. Um, For somebody like this, you wanna, you're going to want to move real slow. Plain and simple. Like, I think that there's a lot of things. And we, we kind of chopped out some of the question, Jen, just because, um, one, you told us that we totally could. And two, there was a long question with a lot of depth. Um, but, like, you kind of brought up a few different strategies. Like, would this, would diet breaks work? Would, like, a 12-week diet with uh, a maintenance month work? Um, would it? Of course. Like, I think this is where we go, like, okay, in theory, on paper, all of these things would work. A deficit is a deficit. So how would I help somebody lose 50 pounds? Well, we could do... One week on, one week off. We could do two weeks on, one week off. We could do three weeks on, one week off. We could do 10 days on, three days off. We could do a 12-week diet and then a four to eight-week diet break and rinse and repeat. There's so many options. It's just literally like, how do you want to create a deficit, right? However, when somebody has uh, experience of dishonest tracking, um, inexperience of tracking, um, they're doing Orange Theory Fitness, which tells me they're not doing uh, like strength training, um, which means that they're probably doing something that's more adaptive. So I'm going to lean less on the training and more on the diet in that case, because once you progress, like in my opinion, in, in classes like that, even like soul cycle and shit like that, you'll progress to a certain point and then you'll stop progressing and you're just going to maintain your level of intensity because you know, like in soul cycle, if you're cycling for an hour, there's only so much you can cycle in an hour. And if you do it for three months, you're going to get way better at cycling. So you're going to be able to cycle more within that hour. But then at a certain point, unless you like have like some 
magic trick to make your legs move faster. Like there's just nothing more you can do yeah. and your body gets more efficient because it's like, okay, I'm getting used to this. I don't what have would, to. What if you ramp up like the intensity? I mean, but how, but that's the thing. It's like how high can the intensity go? Oh. The way I look at it is like. There's always a ceiling. Yeah, always. Because like you look at it like a car. Your car can go certain, has like a certain engine that can go a certain speed. There's nothing you can really do, I guess NOS, but like even that runs out, <laughs> right? Like, car, yeah. yeah, there's nothing you can really do. Getting a new car would be start a new program. Yep. You know, rinse and repeat. So I think that like at a certain point, and we got to remember too, cardio is very adaptive because like once you get good at cycling, you're not doing anything different, right? Whereas strength training, like we're adding different elements to it that make it like, oh shit, he's not just squatting now. He's squatting and then after the squatting, he's doing these RDLs or now he's squatting with weight and a band or with weight and chains or on a deficit or with a half rep at the bottom or for less reps, more weight or more reps, less weight. Like there's just so many variabilities. Um, like I think Soul Cycle will add like dumbbells and they'll start like punching the air and shit. Um, I've done Soul Cycle a couple times. Really? Oh yeah. With yeah. clients. Like we, we, me and Theo jumped in a few times. Yeah. Not a fan. Yeah, um, I did it once. My ass hurt really bad at the end of it. Which I think they do on purpose <laughs> because they make you stand up. Basically, yeah. is like why the seats are uncomfortable. Um, and they pack those bikes in there, man. I was oh, like, yeah. holy shit! I can like, get, I'm getting splashed by your sweat. Oh, You're getting splashed dude. by my sweat. It's just like this is intense. Damn. Very intimate situation. But um, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, no, all jokes aside, I think that uh, it's it, it's the point is is like I think. First and foremost, like, again, all jokes aside, my priority is, like, what are you doing for, for movement? Do you enjoy it? Yes. Keep fucking going, right? That's priority number one because the reality is is you can absolutely still lose weight with SoulCycle or Zumba or uh, Orange Theory Fitness or anything. They're all completely different, but they're all group classes that probably aren't going to be as effective as other things, in my opinion, um, at a certain point. But it's movement, and that's really what's important. So from a health perspective, 100% effective, perfect. At a certain point, you're not going to be able to rely on that for exercise-induced fat loss. That's what I'm getting at. So I'm going to lean more on the diet. But at the same time, we know this person has struggles with the diet. Uh, if they have struggles with the diet and they have struggles with honesty within the diet or tracking accurately within the diet, my guess is that they're probably not going to be the best candidate for diet breaks anyway because putting you on a diet break is increasing calories, right, which opens up the doors for more freedom or flexibility, especially if – um, if they're inexperienced at tracking, it's going to be even harder. And I don't know. I just, I tend to find people like this might work better with like, Hey, we're going to create a very small deficit. We're going to really teach you how to track properly. Um, because you're tracking properly and we're creating a small deficit, we're actually probably creating a pretty big deficit because you probably were eating more than you realized, but the numbers show just a small one. So it's easier for you to adhere to psychologically. We're going to fill you with voluminous foods, lots of water movement, and we're just going to coast, go super slow at like 0.5 to 1% of total body weight loss per week, probably leaning closer to 0.5 because it's way more adherable. And I might go for 24 weeks. It don't matter. I've, I mean, I've had plenty of people that we've lost 50 plus pounds with no diet breaks, no refeeds or anything like that. It's just a very slow coasting grind. And every once in a while, we're like, hey, let's throw in a cheat meal, you know? And I don't call it a cheat meal. I call it a free meal. But, um, and we set up guidelines around that. I had a guy this weekend that was like, you know, we didn't, we haven't taken any diet breaks or anything. And he's been coasting. And he was like, uh, like, and this is good with like cl open client communication. Basically, cl diet fatigue getting to me a little bit. Definitely craving things more. Um, and my daughter wants me to go eat with her. We used to eat like, they used to go a little overboard on the weekends. He would just eat a lot. And that's what was kind of setting back. I'm like, cool, let's just set parameters around it. I'm like, what do you want for a free meal? And he had a few restaurants that he goes to with his daughter. He's like, these are the ones. I'm like, cool. Like, have a salad. No, oh. <laughs> no. Yeah, it's not um, pizza. 
Yeah, one of them was pizza, one was a barbecue joint, but oh, one was okay. a tiny place. But I was just like, cool, like, now that we know them, what's your favorite meals at those places? And he's like, well, I would probably order this here, this here, this here. Cool. What does your daughter want? Pizza place. Cool. Then that's what we're going with. Like, that's the piece you want? Like, keep it to two slices or less. Unless they're like those little tiny wimpy slices, then of course have more. But most of the time you go to like a good pizza place, they're fat slice. I'm like, but if we don't set parameters, you go, I'm having pizza. I could kill a medium pizza by myself. I guarantee, especially after I've been on a diet for eight weeks, you know? So we go into it. We're like, here's the parameter. Like, dude, here's your boundaries, you know? And like, do you want dessert? Yeah. Okay, cool. Like let's, what are the desserts? Like we can't go ham on that too. But like basically the rule is like when you walk in, this is your free meal. When you walk out, it's over. We're back on the diet. And because of that, actually still lost a pound that week. And so now, and the whole framing too is like, hey, we can do this. As long as we have parameters, we're going to be safe. And if we do it effectively and we manage it well, we should still lose weight. And if we still lose weight, we can do this every week. Yeah. You know, but if, if we can't handle it and we go overboard, then we can't do it every week because then it's just a trigger that's going to cause a binge. Um, that stuff works better with these kind of people because they don't need glycogen replenishment or anything like that. Um, not only because they're not bodybuilding, but also because if you have 50 pounds of lube, you have, you have plenty of stored energy you don't need to diet break or refeed in order to replenish glycogen, mm. right? Um, I've only seen refeeds from a glycogen perspective really, really be effective when like I was getting ready for stage or when I'm putting somebody on a physique show because they're so fucking lean that you give them a day where you're like, hey, I want you to eat 12 pancakes and the next day they're just looking shredded. It's like, yeah, because you're literally just, I mean, you're like starving at that point, you yeah. know? And so you soak it up like a sponge. But um, in general, I think like don't overcomplicate it. Super slow, healthy habits, uh, have a free meal every once in a while when diet fatigue, accum- a diet fatigue accumulates, but teach them how to properly diet in a healthy way so they don't rebound or gain it back like they've done it in the past. Totally. So. Dope. All right. Well, today that was the last question, so we will have another set of questions on Friday. Yeah. Um, this is airing Monday. So, uh, guys, check out the latest YouTube video, which aired last Thursday. Be on the lookout for this Thursday's YouTube video. They're coming out every single week. Um, this last Thursday was really dope because we had our, my chiropractor come out and she worked on me. So we did like the whole thing was basically like how to go to a chiropractor and get the right treatment as a recreational lifter. So if you're just after fat loss, bodybuilding, strength training, you're just in the gym, you're gym pop, this is perfect for you. This is what you should be looking for. And it teaches you to like what kind of chiros are good and what are just, who are just there to say, hey, I'm going to pop your back, come back next week for eternity and you just keep coming back forever um she even adjusted my face which was interesting so you'll see that too so go check that out at the youtube channel make sure you hit subscribe Um, as always we appreciate you guys and we will catch you next time